Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Why is it that uh, we make such a big deal around here with respect to the Great Commission? Why is it that Southeastern Seminary challenges you and our faculty and anyone that comes here uh, not to pray the prayer, Lord, should I go, but to pray the prayer, Lord, why should I stay? Why is it that every time we gather for chapel, uh, we pray for the nations and we pray for this nation? Uh, Why is it that next week we will have a conference here dedicated specifically to the theme of evangelism? Why why is that the heartbeat of this school? Why is that uh, that we emphasize these type of things? And the answer is simply this. We believe that the only means whereby anyone can obtain a right relationship with God is by grace through faith in the perfect blood atonement of Jesus Christ. And if indeed they do not enter into a saving relationship with Him by faith through grace, they will spend an eternity in a place called hell. We believe the Bible. We believe the words of Jesus. We believe that heaven and hell are real and that he makes all the difference. And the only means whereby someone can be justified is by faith in Jesus. I want you to take your Bible and join me this morning in the third chapter of the book of Romans, verse 21 through verse 31. And we're going to address part one today of 12 great truths about the doctrine of of justification. Uh, Part two will be uh, preached and studied in about a month. So why are you breaking it down into two messages? Because this is a one-hour message, and uh, I want to be sensitive to the time. I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to try to speak and uh, stick a fire hose in your mouth and turn it on full blast. Uh, That would be counterproductive to what I want to do this morning. I want us to to walk our way carefully uh, through these verses, both today and in a month from now. And in essence, I'm going to be more of a teacher this morning, uh, though all good teaching has a preaching element and all good preaching always has a teaching element in it. But I'm in essence inviting you into the systematic theology classroom where we're going to begin with biblical theology and then make our way as the text leads us into systematic theology and to think about uh, this doctrine, the doctrine of justification that is at the very heart of the Christian faith. Uh, It is a doctrine that has been tragically misunderstood throughout 2,000 years of church history and even today. Uh, both from the theological left and even the theological right, there are those who do not always grasp clearly 
this cardinal doctrine of Christianity. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law, the principle of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. In Job 9 and verse 2, we encounter one of those ultimate questions of life. How can a man be righteous before God? This is a question that confronts all of us, and it's a question that should concern each of us as well. Can you, can I, can anyone be right with God? To say it another way. How can we ever hope to be accepted in eternity by God when all of us have scorned and rejected his infinite worth and glory and so fully treated him as if he had less value than a weekend hobby? Maybe you would say this morning, that's not who I am, and I certainly hope that it's not. But I would submit to you that many who gather week after week on a Sunday are far less enthusiastic about what they're doing that particular day than they were the previous day when they were screaming to the top of their lungs and pulling for and, yea, worshiping in a temple called a football stadium and worshiping their idols who were running up and down a field chasing a pig skin. No, unfortunately, we live in a day and time where our Lord's value and infinite worth is scorned, ridiculed, and sometimes at best ignored. So is it possible for someone, for a man, a woman, a boy or girl to be made righteous before God? And the resounding answer that we receive from this text this morning is yes. Anyone, everyone can be made right with God because as verse 24 wonderfully summarizes, we can be justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned a moment ago, the doctrine of justification is one of the great cardinal doctrines of the Bible. Uh, It is a uniquely Pauline doctrine. He is the one who teaches us about it. 
It is a doctrine that was at the very heart of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century being beautifully developed both in the writings of Luther and also Calvin. It is a doctrine that separates even to this day not only Protestants from Catholics, it is a doctrine that separates works salvation from grace salvation. It separates uh, what I do salvation from who I trust salvation. Now, as we begin to think about this doctrine, we need to get a definition. What do we mean by this idea? What does the Bible mean by this idea of justification? Well, in its most simple, basic form, it means to be declared righteous in Christ in our standing before God. To be declared righteous in Christ in our standing before God. But if you'd like to expand that a bit, and I think it's worth our time to do so, listen to the words of J.I. Packer, the wonderful evangelical scholar. What does he say about justification? It is God's act of remitting the sins of guilty men and accounting them righteous freely by His grace through faith in Christ on the ground, not of their own works, but of the representative law-keeping, and redemptive blood-shedding of the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. And in many ways, that is a wonderful summary of what you find in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, going through verse 31 as well. And so from this very excellent definition... What I want to do this morning is part one and share with you six marvelous aspects of this glorious doctrine called justification. In this text, we have what John Calvin says is there is not probably in the whole Bible a passage which sets forth more profoundly the righteousness of God in Christ. Leon Morris, the wonderful New Testament scholar, said of Romans 3, 21 through 26, it is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. Now, whether or not you agree with him, he is certainly raising before us the specter that this is a crucial text, that you really cannot comprehend correctly what the Christian faith is all about if you don't grasp well Romans 3, 21 and following. So let's take a few moments and highlight this morning six aspects of the doctrine of justification. Number one, justification of sinners cannot be obtained by good works. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The first two words there, but now, marks a major turning point in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul has developed very extensively his doctrine of sin. And he has made it crystal clear that both Gentile and Jew alike are under the condemnation, the right condemnation of God because of our sin. Further, that phrase, the righteousness of God, which appears there in verse 21, and the idea of righteousness reappearing again and again, reconnects us with the theme of Romans. Again, if we were in New Testament survey today, and we were working our way through the Pauline letters, and we were beginning with Romans, and we were to ask the question, what verse or verses uh, capture best the theme of Romans? I, I hope that you would say, well, that's pretty easy. 
Uh, it's Romans 1, 16 and 17 where the Bible says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. By the way, that particular phrase, the just shall live by faith, does not appear in the Bible once, uh, not twice, not three times, but actually four times. Of course, it is found in the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4. It occurs here in Romans 1.17 and again in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 and Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. I suspect that if God says something once, that's enough. But if God says something four times in his word, I strongly suspect he thinks it is very, very important. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, made evident apart from the law, apart from works. And what we're seeing here as we connect this text with what has just gone before is that human beings apart from Christ are depraved. They're dead. They're lost. They're rebellious. They are without hope of a right relationship with God. In fact, look at what he said back in verse 10 of this same chapter. As it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Look at verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And look at the verse immediately preceding our text. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. No, before we were justified by faith in Christ, we loved sin, not God. As Calvin well said, our hearts were idle factories. Uh, we do not love God's law, and we could not meet its demands if we wanted to, and we did not want to. In other words, apart from Christ, we are incapable of living the lives that God wills for us to live. And as one man well said, anytime God gives us a command before we met Christ, our default answer to the will and way of God is always no. It's kind of funny today in my own life, my, my, my son's pick at me now that we have all these grandchildren and uh, the ones that have the grandkids in particular say, you know, it's changed with you and mom. Uh, when we were growing up, uh, your default answer to anything we wanted was no. But when the grandkids want something, the default answer to anything that they ask is yes. Granddaddy, can we have some money? Sure, babe. Here's my wallet and here are my credit cards. You just do what you want to with them. Can, can I play with your iPad? Well, of course you can play with my iPad. Can I have that $400 uh, iPhone? Of course you can have that. Can I have the keys to the car? Well, not quite yet, but no. The, the default answer, uh, yes to one is yes, the other is no. Well, our default answer to God was always no. No, I don't obey you. No, I don't want to follow your will and your way. No. In my dead, sinful state, I would rather have it my way than your way. 
And so you cannot really understand Romans 3:21 and following unless you understand very well Romans 1:18 through 3:20. Romans 1:18 through 3:20 unveiled the terrible wrath of God against sin and righteously so. And Romans 3:21 through 5:21 unveils the marvelous grace of God. And so what we see as we begin considering the doctrine of justification is that we need justification and we need it apart from religious and moral obedience because we cannot obtain right standing before God through those means. And what we desperately need is God in grace through Christ to provide it. Indeed, Mark Dever, my good friend, says that of this wonderful doctrine, God predicted it, God did it, And then God now interprets and explains it, which leads us to our second observation this morning. Justification of sinners was promised to us by God. Look again at verse 21. But now, in this day and time, the righteousness, a right standing before God, has been manifested, has been revealed. It is a part from the law. I cannot be saved by law obedience, but it has been witnessed. By the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now what is he saying? He's telling us that God's way of justifying sinners is not new. Uh, It's not novel. In fact, God has always justified sinners in exactly the same way. Now, when he speaks of the fact that the law and the prophets witness to this wonderful doctrine, I think he is taking us back into the Old Testament book of Genesis to begin with. And I think he had, at least in his mind, Genesis 3.15, what some would say is the most important verse in the Bible, the Proto-Evangelium, where you have the first preaching of the gospel, where the Bible says, yes, uh, there will be a war between Satan's seed and, 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 and Eve's seed. And yes, you'll bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. And so from there, moving forward, the Old Testament unfolds a marvelous portrait of this coming deliverer. But at the same time, the Old Testament sends forth a consistent message that we are not made right with God by any other means than by faith. Of course, this particular uh, individual who will come is Messiah Jesus. And you have this unfolding portrait that comes from Genesis 12. He's going to be the seed of Abraham. And Genesis 49, he's going to be the seed of Judah. And Deuteronomy 18, he'll be a prophet like Moses. And Second Samuel 7, he'll be a seed of David. And then you get to Isaiah. And in chapter 7, we're told he's going to be virgin born. And in chapter 9, he's going to be the mighty God. And then you get to Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant of Yahweh. And just note one verse from there. Isaiah 53 and verse 11, where it says, The righteous one, my servant, what? Will justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. In other words, God's way of justifying sinners has always been the same by faith in the promise of God. Old Testament saints look forward to Christ, but New Testament saints, as I say to my hermeneutics class over and over, we sit in the catbird seat because we now look back to Christ and we have the full understanding of what was transpiring and unfolding. By the way, that also means that we have the greater responsibility. 
greater revelation always involves greater responsibility. And so we now understand fully what they looked forward to and what they longed to see. Yes, it was always by faith. There's never been a contradiction in God. Genesis 15:6 says, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and it accounted him for righteousness. And actually, Romans 4 develops this out more fully. There you have the law witnessing to the fact that we are justified by faith. Then later, Psalm 32 is cited in Romans 4, 5, and 8. And then again, as we saw earlier, Habakkuk 2, 4 reminds us that the righteous one shall live by faith. So if you're in the law, you're told that we're justified by faith. If you're in the prophets, you're told that we are justified by faith. And so again, God had promised in the Old Testament to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Jesus himself bears witness to this, both in Luke chapter 24 and also John chapter 5. God promised in the Old Testament that a justifying Savior was coming and that this justifying Savior would save us by grace through So justification of sinners cannot be obtained by good works, and justification of sinners was promised to us by God. Number three, justification of sinners results in a right relationship with God. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Yes, the law and the prophets witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The word righteousness appears 35 times in the book of Romans. And in the Greek language, it is related to the word to justify. In fact, the phrase righteousness of God is found four times in this particular paragraph. Verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, and verse 26. When we think about the doctrine of justification, we cannot negate the doctrine of the righteousness of God. So you can see that there's an intertwining of soteriology salvation and theology proper, the character of God. And indeed, righteousness has been defined as an aspect both of God's character and of God's glory. It speaks of the just an acceptable standard of God that he then in grace extends to sinners, indeed to undeserving sinners. In other words, it is a righteousness coming out of and from God to us through Christ received by faith. It's God's way of giving unworthy sinners like me and like you, a right standing and a right status before him as his righteousness in some amazing way is imparted to us. I like the way that John Piper states it, and I quote, The acquittal of the guilty takes place on the basis of a divine transaction that happens in the experience of Jesus. Something happened in the death of Jesus that is so stupendous that it now serves as the basis for the acquittal of millions and millions of sinners who trust Christ. And yes, it results in a right relationship with God. Number four, 
Justification of sinners is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith is mentioned eight times in our text. It is mentioned 38 times in the book of Romans. Now stay with me, this is crucial. It is the instrument, it is the means whereby one is saved. Interestingly, Martin Luther wrote two words in his Bible as a young Augustinian monk, sola fide, faith alone. Faith is what? Confident trust. Uh, It is confident trust that involves both the mind. You have to know something about what you are trusting, and it also involves the will. It requires a heart commitment, a heart involvement as well. Now, again, stay with me. Please hear me well. Faith does not save. Faith does not save. Christ saves through faith. That's why I said a moment ago that faith is the instrument. Faith is the means, the conduit whereby we take hold and embrace Christ. If you ever hear somebody make the uh, statement that we should have faith in faith or, or keep the faith, those are nonsense. Those are nonsense. Those are nonsensical uh, statements. In fact, in my meanness, I would say it's just plain stupid. But uh, faith in faith. Keep the faith. Okay, like, like keep the faith in. I'll just keep the faith. Well, I kind of need something to keep the faith in. Faith always requires an object. And, of course, for us, the object of saving faith is Jesus. In verse 22, it is faith in the person of Jesus that gives a right standing before God. That's the emphasis. And in verse 25, it is faith in the blood atonement, His work that gives one a right standing before God. So you've got to know something about this Jesus that you're putting your faith and trust in. That's why, again, if I were just to walk up to you on the street and you have no background at all concerning Christianity, and I say, just trust in Jesus and you'll be saved, it's not possible. You've got to know something about the Jesus that I am calling you and pleading with you to believe in and to trust in. That's why, again, when many of you go to the mission field and you engage unreached peoples, you are there for days and weeks and months and maybe like a William Carey and an Adoniram Judson, seven years before you have a single convert because they have got to be able to grasp with their mind who he is and what he did before they can put their faith and trust in him. Again, I like what Mark Dever says in this context. Quote, We need to know that there is no salvation apart from despair of our self-righteousness. If you are treasuring hope of your own righteousness before God, you have no room in your heart to treasure the righteousness of Christ as your only hope. Christ is not one among many options. You cannot have Him as just one part of a mixed portfolio of religious trust. The only way to have faith in Christ 
is to realize your complete and utter need of him. We cannot be saved until we realize this. Jesus cannot be our help until we realize we are helpless. We will not see him until we acknowledge our spiritual blindness. We will not hear him until we know our rejection of his words. We will not live until we have known and acknowledged our spiritual deadness. Conviction of sin will always precede conversion. So in the cross, God is saying to sinners simply this, trust my son. Run to my son. Cast yourself on my son as your only hope. Again, I'm fond of saying it this way. Jesus is plan A and there is no plan B. Jesus is plan A and there is no plan B. Just making it very personal for just a moment. If Jesus cannot get me to heaven, if Jesus cannot get me to a right relationship with God, then I have no hope. I won't go to heaven and I'll never be right with God because I'm not trusting in anyone or anything but Jesus. Number five, justification of sinners is something every person needs. Justification of sinners, uh, of sinners is something every person needs. Look again at the end of verse 22 and the first part of all of verse 23. The end of verse 22. For there's no distinction. Uh, there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One man said that sin is an impartial assailant, a universal grim reaper. And it longs to capture us all. There's no difference. Uh, this grim reaper preys on every race, every ethnicity, every nationality, every social status, every religious affiliation. There's no difference. All have sinned. They've missed the mark. Uh, they've broken the law. They've rebelled against God. Again, John Piper, sinning is always a valuing of something in this world more than God. It is a belittling of His glory. It is a dishonoring of His name. All have fallen short. All have come up short. All have a lacking. All are destitute. That's our condition. The glory of God, His perfections. Uh, his standards which flow from His majestic awesomeness and splendor. And so because of sin, we fall short of reflecting the glory of God and being conformed to His image. And so the means of justification is the same for all because all of us have the exact same need. We're all spiritually bankrupt. We're all spiritually dead before this holy God. Again, I like the way John says it. All sin is despising of God and His glory. All sin is a preference for the fleeting pleasures of the world over the everlasting joy of fellowship with God. You demean God's glory. This is the meaning of sin. Failing to love God's glory above everything else. And then for our purposes this morning, number six and finally... Justification of sinners is by grace through redemption in Christ. Verse 24, justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification is a legal term from the law courts. 
It speaks of a new status as righteous men and women before the judge of the universe. In fact, we might summarize its vital components in four concise statements. One, justification is declared by God. Two, justification is accomplished by God through Christ. Three, justification is received by faith. And fourth, the justification is evidenced by good works. Being justified freely by His grace. The verb is passive. The verb is passive. It's something God does for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's a gift that cannot be earned. It is a gift that is not deserved. You can't buy your justification. No amount of anything can purchase one's justification. And furthermore, and please hear this as I begin to wrap it up, justification has both a negative and a positive connotation to it. You say, what do you mean? Well, when I was growing up, and even when I was in ministry earlier in my life, I would hear preachers many times say, well, you know, justification means just as if I'd never sinned. And that is true, but it's only half of the truth. Yes, justification is, now stay with me, just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if I'd always obeyed God perfectly. It's not just that I never sinned. It's that I always obeyed His law. I always obeyed His will perfectly. And, of course, Paul says it's by grace, a word that appears 95 times in Paul's writings, what one man has said, God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, one last thing. It is absolutely, vitally, crucial, and important that you understand that justification and sanctification are companions, but they're not the same thing. Justification and sanctification are companions, but they are not the same thing to this day. This is something that Roman Catholicism is confused about and actually teaches that you can grow in your justification. No, you can't. You're either justified or you're not by this alien righteousness that is imputed to you by faith in Christ. Yes, you can grow in your sanctification. And so let me close by just putting a chart up that will show you how the two can be understood in this very stark contrast. Both are by grace. Justification is by grace. Sanctification is by grace. But justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Justification is by faith, but sanctification results in faithfulness. Justification is not of works, but sanctification always includes good works. Justification concerns Christ's imputed righteousness. Sanctification concerns my growing in righteousness. Justification involves my position in Christ. Sanctification involves my practice in Christ. Justification considers what God has done. Sanctification considers what I am doing or maybe what God is doing in and through me. Justification is God's commitment to me, but sanctification is my service to God. Justification requires obedience to one command, believe the gospel. But sanctification requires obedience to all of Christ's commands. Justification focuses on the cross, which Jesus took up once and for all. Sanctification focuses on the cross, which I am to take up daily. Justification finished at the moment of faith. 
Sanctification is not finished until I go to be with my Lord. And so we understand that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. During the years of slavery, black men and women would go aside privately as often as possible to worship apart from the oversight and in many cases the uh, intrusion of their white owners. And out of that whole tradition grew a world of hymnody that has carried on to this day and been a great blessing to the body of Christ. And as I was thinking about this over the last several weeks, one particular song just stood out to me as a marvelous reflection of what Romans chapter 3 is all about, written by the man J.W. Work, you'll know it, is simply entitled, Free at Last. Free at last, free at last. I thank my God I am free at last. Free at last, free at last. I thank God Almighty I am free at last. Way down yonder in the graveyard walk, I thank my God I'm free at last. Me and my Jesus going to meet and talk, I thank my God I'm free at last. On my knees when the light passed by, I thank my God I'm free at last. Thought my soul would rise and fly, I thank my God I am free at last. Some of these mornings bright and fair, I thank my God I'm free at last. Going to meet King Jesus in the air, thank God Almighty I am free at last. That is what justification gives to every one of us. Let us pray together and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this doctrine that, again, is so crucial to the Christian faith, so crucial, dear Lord, to our being rightly related to you. If I'm not justified, I'm not a Christian. But if I am justified, you look at me just like you look on your own blessed Son. You see me perfect. You see me righteous. You see me just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I'd always obeyed you perfectly. And dear Lord, for this alien righteousness that is not my own, that you have imputed to my account on the basis of the work of Christ and my faith in him, I praise your name. And I thank you that by that amazing grace, from the demands of the law, I am free at last. So, dear Lord, may I live in the joy and live in the confidence and live in the wonder of who I am in Christ. Thank God Almighty, we are by faith in Jesus, freed at last. We pray this in his strong and powerful name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern 
or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.